This podcast contains possible spoilers about comic books and adaptations. You've been warned. Hey Lance, what mythical monster would you want to see in real life? A dragon. Oh yeah? Big scary dragon? Yeah. I'd call him Trogdor. <laughs> That's cool. I'd want to see a unicorn. Like a fluffy, pretty unicorn? Dude, unicorns are vicious. That horn, it's like a like a death ray. I bet a dragon could take out a unicorn. Yeah, but I, I bet Hellboy could take them both out at the same time. Without a doubt. Right hand of doom for the win. Right hand of doom! Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Chris. And I'm Lance. And today we're talking about Hellboy. Bum, bum, bum. This is an episode I've been really looking forward to, not just because it's one of my favorite characters in comics from the last uh, 30 years or so, but I think it's one of the few comics I know more about than you do. <laughs> no, Just a little. There's There's been other characters we've there's covered. You've few, known but, more. But I, this is one that I pride myself on knowing. And yet, I don't know everything. I haven't read all of Hellboy. Uh, just like Invincible, like, I love this book. But I'm still a little bit behind in, in like, all of the Hellboy content that's out there. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, all, all of that later. But. Yeah, uh, Hellboy is a, is a fascinating character. Uh, let's kind of get into it. So he he is a gruff but well-meaning half-demon, also known as a Cambion, who serves as one of the world's greatest paranormal investigators and also might bring about the end of the world. Created by Mike Mignola in 1993, Hellboy is the main character of one of the biggest creator-owned success comic stories in the last 30 years. The series itself is kind of a mix of gothic and cosmic horror exploration of the world myths and folklore and a funny buddy cop story. <laughs> um, it's presented in Mignola's unique art style, which is a mix of heavy darks, minimal coloring, cinematic pacing, and creepy attention to symbols and occult atmosphere. Hellboy has won Eisner awards for best limited series. Mignola has won a Harvey award, which is kind of like an indie comics award for best artist. Hellboy the character has been awarded uh, the title of Best Indie Hero a few times from fans. And in 2011, IGN ranked Hellboy 25th on the top 100 comic book heroes. That's not bad at all. Not bad. Hellboy is the child of the demon Azazel and the human witch Sarah Hughes, which makes him a Cambion, or half-demon. He first appeared on the night of December 23rd, 1944, when the evil mystic Grigory Rasputin summoned him to Earth with the help of the Third Reich. Eh, Nazis. Meh. <laughs> Although he showed up, not in Germany, but miles away in East Bromwich, England, American soldiers investigating the ritual, along with Professor Trevor Brutenholm, which is actually spelled out like Brutenholm, but it's pronounced Broom. So, Professor Trevor Broom befriended the creature, naming him Hellboy. He was raised in secret by the U.S. military, and eventually, Professor Broom became his adopted father. He joined Broom's BPRD, or Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. His body grew quickly, although his mind continued to grow at a normal rate. Since World War II, he learned about hauntings, exorcisms, and all things supernatural and paranormal, 
and has traveled the world defeating such beings and disturbances. He has also encountered creatures of myth, minor deities, and beings of folklore. Hellboy, whose real name is Anung Unrama, or Urush Anrama, also has other aliases that he has called in the comics and the movies. He is known as the World Destroyer, the Great Beast, the Right Hand of Doom, the Son of the Fallen One, Red, Brother Red, Big Red, Man Beast, the guy that's going to bring about the end of the world, Agent Hellboy, HB, and Peanut, because apparently he smells like roasted peanuts. Yeah, that's what I would think. His powers, <laughs> his powers and abilities include superhuman strength, stamina, durability, and demonic aging, which is rapidly aged to adulthood, but then he lives about as long as humans normally would. He does have accelerated healing, so kind of like Wolverine. He possesses the right hand of doom, which serves as the key to the end of the world. So that's important. Uh, <laughs> it's like having a, a living uh, foreshadowing on your hand. Just got a key to the apocalypse just right yeah. there. Yeah. Any moment. And which is also incredibly indestructible and super strong. He has a natural immunity to fire and lightning an innate capability to comprehend magical languages and extensive knowledge of the supernatural through training with his professor. And he carries a tool belt, or a utility belt, if you will, and jacket full of various holy relics, lucky items, hand grenades, and an oversized revolver, which in the movie is known as the Samaritan. But in the comics, doesn't actually get a name. It's just a big old gun. He works as a paranormal investigator for the BPRD. His supporting characters are vast, including Kate Corrigan, who is another professor who works for the BPRD, Abe Sapien, a fishman. Professor Broom, Liz Sherman, uh, who in the comics he is not romantically linked with, but in the movies he was. Roger the Homunculus, Lobster Johnson, Johann Krauss, Ben Daimio, and Tom Manning, the FBI liaison to the BPRD. And there's many other characters, but those are kind of some of the, the main ones, the sort of A-team. Antagonists that he's fought among many out there, but the main ones that kind of keep coming back are Gregory Rasputin, Azazel, who is his father, the goddess Hecate, the Baba Yaga, the Ogdru Jihad, Karl Ruprecht Cronin, Hermann von Klempt, and many, many more. So a couple of Nazis, a couple of elder gods, a uh, couple of raised from the dead monks, and a lot of uh, folklore, scary beasties. There's There's a lot to work with there. So how did this demonic good guy come to be for that we go into the archives hellboy was created by writer and artist mike mignola mike was born and raised in california where he would develop a love for the comic book medium in sixth grade however he would read bram stoker's iconic novel dracula which cemented his obsession with monsters myths and the supernatural his young dreams were to simply draw monsters for a living, which the comic book industry would permit. His talents, however, did not end with drawing, as Mignola's captivating creativity expanded to pen engaging narratives. Mignola would hone his craft while devouring every monster, horror, and supernatural piece of related media he could find. His first published works were for the Comic Reader, a comic news fanzine, in issue 183 with a spot illustration of Red Sonja in 1980. His first published cover would be for issue 196 of the same fanzine. After graduating from the California of College Arts and Crafts in the early 1980s, 
Mignola would find work inking Marvel titles including Daredevil and Power Man and Iron Fist. In 1983, Mignola would land his first penciler work on a series for Marvel's four-issue miniseries, Rocket Raccoon, which I didn't know, which makes me upset because uh, during (laughs) the beginning of quarantine, I was buying and reselling comic collections, and I had Uh. that run. Of Rocket <laughs> Raccoon. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, but like, wow, this is selling for a decent amount, but I'll flip it. Yeah, no clue that he had done it. I would have kept, because I had multiple copies of it. And so oh, wow. I would have kept one. So that's on me. I'm looking for that one now. Yeah. <laughs> Other Marvel penciling works around this time include The Incredible Hulk and Alpha Flight. Magnolia would leave Marvel to work for DC Comics in 1987. His DC publications as penciler include The Phantom Stranger, World of Krypton, and a miniseries with writer Jim Starlin called Cosmic Odyssey. He would draw several covers for Batman, including a few of the A Death in the Family storyline. And and his Batman covers, if you haven't seen them, are really cool. They're just like super iconic, and it kind of adds to that, that late 80s Batman dark feel that... Uh, in in the series it, it they're they're really awesome it's his art is so identifiable yeah and so it it adds just that level of what you just expect from him as an artist adding that to batman was just like genius yeah. it it just works perfectly and that's kind of early in his career i'd say in the 90s it gets more iconic and more like he doesn't try to to superhero it up a little bit it, it he kind of leans into like i'm gonna do my style <laughs> mignola and writer brian augustine would create one of the most popular modern one shots gotham by gaslight in 1989 which centers around bruce wayne in the 19th century as batman tracking down jack the ripper in gotham city that if you don't immediately want to read that story i don't know if you <laughs> like comics at all because it's amazing and it recently got it got an animated, animated yeah. adaptation. Yeah. So you, if you, for some reason, don't want to read the amazing story and art for Gotham by Gaslight, you can just watch it. I would suggest reading the comic, though. Then watch. Mm-hmm. Then watch the animated series. Interestingly enough, Gotham by Gaslight is considered to be the first Elseworlds story, but it doesn't have the Elseworlds logo, which I didn't know about but because I love the Elseworlds stories. I'm all about the what if storylines, the else worlds, we legitimately have a what if segment on our show because of our kind of obsession with, with that alternate universes. (laughs) Yeah. Where you can do anything you want and it doesn't have to be some ongoing series where you have to get every single issue. You pick up a single issue. It has a set story and it's usually bonkers and insane. And you don't have to worry about the repercussions of anything that happens. I would strongly suggest checking that one out. The early 1990s would see Mignola work on several projects for both Marvel and DC. More interestingly, however, is Mignola would provide the art for the 1992 four-issue miniseries adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula alongside writer Roy Thomas. So legitimately, the book that he read as a sixth grader that made him want to create a career revolving around drawing monsters and being obsessed (laughs) with the supernatural mythic full circle in 92 where he gets to actually do the comic adaptation of that story which is amazing i feel like there's multiple stories like that we've had where just down the line 
the writers or the authors that were either impressed by a certain creator or a character had some way come back to it. Another one of those just roundabout stories of of you being impressed by this creator or this character and then you find your way back to it and you're able to add your little stamp onto it or it's I love those kinds of stories. Prior to researching for this issue, I knew about the San Diego Comic-Con comic versus the Next Men first appearance debate for Hellboy. There are, however, a few other early appearance surprises. In 1991, Mike Mignola had his bio, a black and white sketch of a demon-like character with the name Hellboy, two words, written on his belt buckle, appear in a pamphlet at Great Salt Lake Comic Con. It wasn't until 1993 in March that the first Hellboy prototype, now one word, Hellboy, would show up only on the cover of Dime Press issue four, which was an independent Italian comic book publisher slash fanzine where only 2,000 copies were printed. So if you can get your hands on one, good for you because they practically don't exist. Recent sales for this issue are range between 430 to 600 bucks ungraded. If you have them graded, significantly more. Dark Horse Comics would release San Diego Comic-Con Comics number 2 in August of 1993. Among a variety of stories by a plethora of creators, it would include the first full Hellboy appearance in black and white. This four-page spread shows Hellboy fighting Anubis, is a giant dog monster creature. The story and art were, of course, done by Mike Mignola, along with, and I quote, script and emotional support by John Byrne. (laughs) Hellboy's first full appearance in a regular published title and first color appearance is in John Byrne's Next Men, issue 21, released in December of 1993. Byrne would provide the story and art with Mignola on cover and interior art as well. And since we're talking about Mike Mignola, I I also want to just mention that he was the kind of main character designer consultant for the movie, the Disney movie Atlantis um, in the late 90s. That's amazing. Uh, which which if you think about it kind of makes sense because there's a lot of like ancient runes and there's a lot of symbology and the and the the character design is really varied. You got these big and small and skinny and and different shapes and it's a little bit more exaggerated very stylized and it's it, it's one of my favorite movies visually and that's before i even knew about his involvement with that and once i did i was like of course it is it's because it's so cool uh-huh. it's like oh one of like the coolest stories that yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely needs a live action adaptation and, and it has a giant tentacle monster which kind of <laughs> tracks so it's <laughs> it was he was just testing it out yeah yeah So now we're going to get into the pull list. Now, there there's a lot of Hellboy out there. I mean, it's it's over 30 years of content at this point. So but the, one of the kind of nice things about Hellboy being an indie comic, being something from Dark Horse that has gone through a couple of miniseries and different things like that is it is attainable. Like you can read all of Hellboy or you can kind of read key moments of Hellboy. And there's a lot of different ways because it's so popular dark horse has done a good job of, of reprinting it in different ways. So it's not something I would say, go out and get the individual issues for unless you're 
just a diehard collector. Completionist. Yeah, a completionist like Lance's. But I would say the trade paperbacks are a great place to start just to see if that's what you like. But if you know you're like, I'm all in, give me some Hellboy. I want to I want to read about this story. The first thing I'm going to recommend is the four omnibus collections, uh, which chronologically collects the main Hellboy story. This doesn't have every single Hellboy story that exists. Uh, it does not include the short stories, which are separately collected in a in another uh, trade, I think. But uh, this is just like the main storyline uh, that that is about Hellboy and kind of in his like solo titles um, over the years. So uh, up till his last sort of conclusion story that that has come out. So there is a beginning, middle and end. And that's kind of neat. Like 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 we talked about on Invincible, like it's kind of cool to have a a complete arc of a story that is done by was also rare about this, just like Invincible, like this was done. This was done by, you know, primarily one creator um, with there's some various artists that came in, but he was Pretty much after after Seed of Destruction, which John Byrne wrote, uh, he was Mike Mignola wrote everything. And then he actually drew most of it, but he took a break um, after the series called Macoma in February 2006, um, which other artists came in. Richard Corbin, um, Duncan Fagretto, uh, so P. Craig Russell, Scott Hampton, Kevin Nolan. So we want to kind of a little, you know, the really great artists that came in and they kind of had their own take on it, sort of similar, but, but, uh, you know, kind of approved by him um, because he owns it. It's not like Dark Horse wasn't like, well, you know, we're going to pick the artist. Mike Mignola actually got to pick the artist uh, to do that. And then he actually came back to start drawing for it uh, in December of 2012 for the ongoing artist for Hellboy in Hell which is kind of his uh, last series um, for that. That That is not to say that it's the end of Hellboy because Hellboy and the BPRD is an ongoing series that I believe is still going. Um, and that's that sort of talks about previous adventures, even like back in the 50s, 60s. So it kind of goes back and talks about previous adventures. So there is still an ongoing Hellboy comic that you can, that you can read, uh, but... That's we're, we're, we're going to talk about most of the like the main stuff. But my first recommendation is the Omnibus Collections, which uh, just talks about all of or it kind of goes through the main Hellboy storyline. And it has some good like sketches behind the scenes, uh, drawings and, and um, some of the early appearances that he had. Now, if you're out there listening and you think, but Chris, Omnibuses are usually pretty expensive, right? Yeah, yeah, they, they are. Well, I got an answer for you for that one. So you can download the Libby app. It is it is L I B B Y. I know you. It is on Apple. In it's in the Apple Store. I, the iOS, maybe Android. And it is a an application that is connected to a library. That it's it's not like you're pirating anything online. It is legitimately connected to your local library. And you have to have a library card and you can get a digital library card for it. And it lets you check out different books and you can, and you can find all kinds of books in there too. And plenty of comics and trade paperbacks. And it just so happens yeah. that all four of these omnibuses are in the Libby app. 
Yeah. So if you are trying to pinch pennies, not able to afford the omnibuses, this is an option for you. Yeah, I literally signed up the other day just because I was like, well, I want to check out those those the, the last two big stories that I hadn't read. And I signed up. I didn't have a library card. And it was like, do you have a library card? No. And it just has you put in some information, nothing sketchy. And and it's like, you know, this is where your local branch is. And then you can browse the collection. So and, and I think there's there's other apps that do this, too. I think Overdrive is another one you can get comics, books, um, even audiobooks uh, for free. So w- this is not a paid advertisement. It's just no. it's just kind of cool that you can get comics if you don't want to spend the money on comics. And maybe Comixology is not, uh, you know, an option for you for, for a subscription. Um, ch- check out Libby. It might not have the newest stuff, but it, but it will definitely have stuff that's been printed and maybe like something that you, might, that you would find at the library. So there's like really important popular titles or stuff from the eighties or, you know, things that, that you want to go back and read like collected hardback graphic novel editions um, or paperbacks, you know, so that it's check your local library because you can get a lot of that. Yeah. So yeah. Even going to physical libraries and being able to read the trade paperbacks there. Cause I know it's been a lifesaver for me and for my wallet just because of how much we (laughs) read for this podcast. Sure. So being able to find those those comics on Libby has been fantastic. And I know that another one of our podcasting friends uh, actually is a librarian. And when I had mentioned in a group chat about Libby, they lit up because they were so excited that somebody else knew about Libby. So it is promoted <laughs> by librarians. To yeah, use. there you go. <laughs> they, they like it. Um, so. Other things, did you have anything that you want to, besides that, uh, yeah, so, for the pull list? Yeah, so I would, I I am very new to reading Hellboy. It's one of those characters that I've wanted to get into, but there's been so many other things that I've been higher up on my list. And so yeah. when we decided on having Hellboy as one of our characters here, I was excited at the chance to actually read about him. Yeah, I'm curious what you think. I, I, <laughs> I loved it. I yeah. absolutely loved it. I read, I, I'm still, cause I, I kind of jumped around at like the major storylines, sure. but so started with seed of destruction. So that would be probably one of the, one of the first things I would say for people to pick up would be seed of destruction. Cause it is the first trade paperback. You have uh John Byrne writing, uh, you have Mignola doing the art and it, it does a great job of kind of bringing you in. You get to, f- to know the personality of Hellboy, which kind of uh, was surprising because the personality of Hellboy in the comic is very different from what we get in the original feature films, mm-hmm. which I, I enjoyed. I liked having it a little bit of a different feel and get to see like the artistic direction from two different creators for that. But it, it was a great story that kind of draws you in and lets you know the base foundation for the character and sets so much up moving forward. Yeah, and a lot of the characters that you see in seed of destruction not just from the bprd but also from the villain standpoint from the nazis and from rasputin and some of those characters they don't necessarily just go away uh they they do come back this is a world where the dead can talk this is the world this is a world where people exist in a material you know immaterial plane um so rasputin comes back you know uh not to spoil too much but like there are what i like about it is 
villains, even when they die, are still threats. And there are there are bigger uh, horrors out there. And and before before we get into too much of of polis, like um, I think it's important to kind of acknowledge, like we we talked about at the beginning when it's about the comic. Um, you know, this is a a horror comic. It's it's kind of action. It's it's got some cosmic horror elements to it, like like almost like HP Lovecraftian kind of stuff, like talking about aliens and and the destruction of the world. There's also kind of a gothic horror aspect where you're talking about demons from hell and the son of this this you know lord of of hell and everything, and he's going to bring about the end of the world. So, and and at the same time, there's also this kind of like myth and folklore element where Hellboy will go and look into like a werewolf problem or a, you know, the Baba Yaga or something like that. And he'll, he'll deal with these kind of like myths from all around the world that Mignola is like, I want to do something like an Asian myth, or I want to do something like an African monster myth. So that that's kind of, that was kind of cool. Like in some of these short stories that you might read where the, the monsters that he deals with, sometimes it's just very much monster of the week. Like I'm going to go and, find this, you know, horde of evil frogs or something like that. And because it's based on some sort of a myth and there might be some like comic notes in the back that sort of says, this is where it's based on. Um, but, but I, I normally wouldn't have gotten into this kind of a comic, I think without having to gone, having gone to art school and like getting into more indie comics. Cause I was, you know, early nineties, like image comics, like superheroes and, and like all sharp that. costumes. Yeah. Sharp costumes and lots of claws and points and pouches. And I mean, like that's the stuff I was into and I didn't read anything from dark horse or what. I think the first indie comic I got not counting image was, uh, I think it was like Johnny, the homicidal maniac because mm. I was like, well, I, I gotta get this cause it's, it's indie and cool. But but what but Hellboy I I had known about, but I didn't I was like, I don't really get it. I thought he was wearing goggles on his head for the longest time. And <laughs> then punk red guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, what is that? And then and then it, you kind of at some point learn like, oh, those are those are his horns and they've been sanded down or broken off. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. And at first, I'll be honest, I didn't like the artwork. Mm. I I thought it was I was like, what? What? This is like really rough and simple. And I and I think after I started appreciating the more comics that were out there, that that it wasn't just flashy superhero tight muscles and everything like that, that I, I, I had this little switch flip. And if you're kind of looking at Hellboy art and you're like, I don't know, it's kind of whatever. Um, give another look at it, like read Seed of Destruction, read Right Hand of Doom and you might have that moment where you're like, I appreciate this for more than what it is. It it, it very much is an artwork that fits its genre. Yes, um, absolutely. It, it is, it is not the type of art that you would see for invincible or, or you would see for, I don't know, anything Spider-Man. else, you know, anything <laughs> else. I mean, maybe Batman arguably, uh, but, but cause it's kind of like dark and Gothic, but, but it, it really d- kind of lends itself Mignola's art is is very iconic like we've identified and and all of the uh heavy use of blacks and minimal line art and even just the coloring is done really really subtly but it's it's beautiful because you have this whole palette and it kind of leads you into 
the the depths of the, like the different caverns and dungeons and stuff that he goes into and haunted houses and um it, it's something you don't even notice until you actually stop and you're like oh that's cool like this whole p- page is is green tinted in some way and even hellboy has sort of a green tint over the red but sometimes it, his his color is the only red thing that's on the sh- on the page and the, the background colors are often like it's like black and a color and red and that's it <laughs> it's mm-hmm. uh it's it's really cool that's why mignola is often credited as being like an artist's artist he's like like some he's a comic book artist that other artists really appreciate that was a big rant to say that i just really appreciate his art now yeah i <laughs> i think that i really enjoyed the art because it it's not stylistically it's not similar which is a strange thing to say, but it reminded me of the art from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is one of my favorite comic book. Like Mm -hmm. I love League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. And it, but that art, it, it's so far out there and different from what I normally gravitate towards, but there was just something about it that was so captivating. And I think that's almost like an early 1900s newspaper. drawing. It's, 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 very period. Yes. Uh, if that makes sense. And, and so I think rather than saying that stylistically very different from one another, but that just that captivate captivating different take on art and the, the like line work and colors, it, it's just something that drew my attention immediately. And I think because I was such a fan of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I was open to another art style that has that very similar concept of people are either going to very much like this art or probably are not going to want to read it. And yeah. I am very much in that field of I like finding stories like that when the art is very different than what's expected, but it fits the like genre or the, the concept behind the story. Mm-hmm. I'd say something that if you've read the comic Powers by... Brian Michael Bendis and it's drawn by Michael Avon Oming. It's an image comic. That's, that's kind of the closest thing to like a simplified, iconic uh, stylized uh, style. That's, that's a superhero book. And I guarantee that uh, Michael Oming is, is probably influenced by Mike Mignola because having, having read both, I was kind of like, I had to do a double take the first time I read powers. I was like, this is kind of like Mignola stuff. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it's, (laughs) <laughs> the artwork definitely um i appreciate it greatly um so you recommend seed of destruction the first one uh i would say my second recommendation after the omnibus and, and also seed of destruction would be there's a the trade called right hand of doom and this is an anthology of some shorter stories so you'll get some backstory on when hellboy was a little kid and it has one of my favorite short stories of hellboy which is called pancakes and if you haven't read Pancakes, it's only like, I want to say two or three pages. And it's Hellboy is a little, a little toddler, like a three-year-old uh, with, with little horns. And it's this, it's the cutest little dark souls kind of like thing. And he's, he's on this military base and, and professor broom is like, here, I made you pancakes. And he's like, these are amazing. And then, then you see, <laughs> it cuts to like hell and, and his, his hell brothers and, and uh, his father is like, 
the child has eaten pancakes. And then one of them is like, <laughs> we're, we're all doomed now or something. Like he has truly crossed over to the world of men or something. They, they included the pancake thing in, in uh, Guillermo del Toro's film adaptation too. Uh, kind, yeah, yeah, kinda. Uh, it, I think in the second yeah. one, uh-huh. they show him as a kid, although he's like older, he's like 10 yeah. and it's, uh, I don't know if they do specifically pancakes, but I like they, they definitely show, show him like he's brushing his teeth and it, it's, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But, it, but that's one of my favorite stories, but there's other, there's other ones in right hand of doom, uh, that talk about like his hand and, and. Uh, you know, kind of like what the name means and it, a little bit more about like little little tidbits of backstory and, and like little foreshadowings and stuff like that um, that are that are some really cool things. So and I think it just it's a nice, short, digestible like you can just read a story that's four pages and kind of get the sense of like, oh, OK, this is kind of what Hellboy is like. Um, there's stories where he just goes out and like pounds a monster for a couple of pages, but but in a, in a really hellboy way you know like there's i i love the the sections of the story where it's just him and he's like oh crap and he just starts falling and he uh-huh. gets knocked through a wall and, and he he's punching and then then he'll then there'll be some like dialogue where he's like come on i'm, I'm gonna fight you and um and then all these other characters are like oh we've done all this research and blah 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 and he's just like i'm gonna punch it with my fist <laughs> Um, he's a very direct fighter. He's uh, yes, he he is a bruiser. Absolutely, he's a bruiser. Yeah, he has a gun, but and sometimes he'll use holy water, and sometimes he'll use a little trinket or something. But most of the time, he just he just takes a bunch of punches, yeah, and and fights back and uh, gets beat up a lot. But um, he is he is not invulnerable, but he is uh, unkillable unless he loses the hand. Um. The only way that he can die is if he if he loses the hand. Um, I mean, he can come really close to death, but like he is basically um, I don't want to say immortal, but but kind of close to it. So, yeah, I don't have I haven't. So I, I knew of this story. I haven't read it, so I can't recommend it that it. I can't say it's going to be good if you read it. But I'm a big fan of the weird crossovers. So Mm -hmm. in 1998, there was a crossover between uh, Dark Horse and DC, and it was Batman, Hellboy, and Starman. And there are two issues, part one and part two. Uh, So if you're interested in reading a Hellboy, Batman, Starman crossover, it exists. Yeah. Hellboy's crossed over with a lot of characters, Um, some from just the Dark Horse universe of comics uh i think there was a a buffy angel storyline where they got transported to another dimension to fight demons and hellboy was one of the other gladiator fighters in the background and so they they kind of like exchange a brief like hey good 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 hit thanks and then just (laughs) oh what i want Uh, that issue i i I, it's 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 a buffy comic it's not a hellboy comic that's fine he's in it i want it um yeah, and he definitely pops up every once in a while. I want to say there there was a there's a Hellboy Usagi Ojimbo something. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, there, there, he definitely pops up because everybody's just like he's. It's such an iconic shape. Yes, you know, I mean, you have Batman with the pointy ears. You can tell it's Batman. You've got uh, like Spider Man. If you saw a silhouette, maybe you could tell it's Spider Man if he's doing a crazy pose. But Hellboy, you could. It's like if you see the little 
bumps on his head. The goggles. And and the yeah, the goggles and like his shape and the tail and everything like it's it's Hellboy. Like there's no mistaking like that. that well, now now it might be Damien Darkblood. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, the, the other thing I would recommend if you're let's say you've read a little bit of Hellboy, but you want to read more is is Hellboy in the BPRD. Um, it's not to be confused with the BPRD comic, which sort of is a spinoff comic, which doesn't focus on Hellboy, but focuses more on like other uh, other characters in the BPRD. It goes into like Abe Sapien and some of the other agents, and it kind of looks into paranormal stuff without getting into the the main Hellboy storyline. But uh, which is also a great comic, but but we're not talking about that today. Uh, but Hellboy in the BPRD goes back around the fifties, like when he was a newer agent. Um, because the main storyline kind of starts in the 90s and uh, has flashbacks every once in a while. But this this it's an interesting concept because it kind of goes back to the early days of the BPRD and, and Hellboy's adventures through that. Because the last thing I'm going to recommend is if you're really into Hellboy and like me and you haven't read the conclusion is get the a separate. It's it's called Hellboy in Hell. It's the last kind of main arc that Magnola did. And it kind of tells about uh Hellboy having died and it's not a big spoiler because we, we know he's going to go to hell at some point and but he's not dead because he's in hell and he's kind of has to come to terms with am I or am I not going to cause the end of the world and live up to my name or is there some reason why this is justifiable or you know he, it's an interesting kind of like you know this is going to happen but you don't know how he's going to embrace it is he going to go full evil is he going to justify the destruction in some way and uh it's this is not a comic where it's like happy ending it's it's definitely of its genre where you know it's gonna be like oh okay this is a this is kind of a dark twisted kind of thing and and if you're into that great if you're like i i need closure and i i need happiness and flowers and everyone wins and lives in the end this might not be for you but but um, that's not to say that some of the earlier Hellboy stuff is not good because it's uh, it's great. But um, yeah, Hellboy and Hell would be my like advanced recommendation if you've read some of it, but you want to have a conclusion, you know, fi- finish the series. Yeah. Now, I do not have a grail find for Hellboy, <laughs> but I think my grail the find that I'm looking for now is going to be that Buffy Hellboy <laughs> <Right. laughs> crossover. I need that. That's amazing. Or or, or the uh, what did you say earlier? Batman, the, uh, Batman Starman Hell Batman Hellboy Starman. Or, or or the four issues of Rocket Raccoon. Yes, but that would just be for him. <laughs> but for a Hellboy Grail, just, yeah, yeah, for Hellboy specifically. But no, yeah. I do also want that so, Rocket Raccoon. What? So what? What your Grail find? So uh, I I have a couple of Hellboy comics. I, I think I have the the, the uh, issues of the island storyline. Um, I have a few BPRD comics. They're not necessarily terribly special other than just like th- those. Most of the comics I got from Hellboy were the paperbacks because uh, the trade paperbacks, but uh, I did get some comics. But the, the thing I'm most proud of um, that is a grail find for me is I got my, there's a book that they put out called art of Hellboy. And I actually got that signed by Mike Mignola at uh, San Diego. Comic-Con. Oh, that's awesome. So, um, it, it's a beautiful book. If you if you're falling in love with the art, they did a hardcover book and it's a little bit bigger than, you know, it, it's 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 more like it's like a 12 by nine. I want to say it's it's a lot bigger so you can really appreciate the 
artwork and there's sketches and there's paintings and there's some really cool stuff that's never been released before. Um, concept work, some, some of the early character designs for a lot of the characters and uh, a, a couple of like uh, raw comic pages with like blue and pencil like lines and everything like that. Um, so if you're into like art of books or just like you want to see more of, of Hellboy and, and you love uh, Mike Mignola's artwork, um, I definitely recommend that because it's 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 a beautiful coffee table piece, but it's also just something I, it will inspire you. And and uh, it's it's really beautiful. Um, but yeah, I got that signed. I that's I've met him. That was one of the one of the artists I met at Comic-Con that I was like, I'm, I'm going to have this sign because this is what means a lot to me. Yeah, that's. Oh, man, I can't wait for cons to be a thing again. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and on on that amazing note, let's take a break. Hey, Lance, you know, the best way to support us is leaving a rating and review. A five star rating goes a long way on Apple Podcasts and other podcast services. And a review about what you liked in the issue does so much more. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we love making it. And if you want to check us out on Twitter at CBKCast, use the hashtag CBKCast with your what if ideas or any questions or comments about anything we discuss in the show. We're also on Instagram at CBKCast. We're on Facebook now and you can join our Facebook group and Facebook page and ask any questions that you want there or talk about what Uh, you'd like us to talk about uh, in the future. Comic Book Keepers is hosted by The Geekly Grind. Stop by The Geekly Grind for all things geeky from comics, anime and manga to board games, video games, RPGs and more. Take a break from your weekly grind at The Geekly Grind. And don't forget to check out the composer of our theme song, Arcane Anthems. Our good friend Weston makes royalty-free music for tabletop role-playing games, campaigns, streams and podcasts. Check out his amazing work at Arcane Anthems on TikTok, Twitter, and you can actually get all of his available music for free on his Patreon at Arcane Anthems. All right, let's get back to the issue. In the absence of light, darkness prevails. 60 years ago, they tried to destroy the world. They're back. Behind this door, ancient evil. Oh well, let me go in and say hi. Welcome back. So we're going to talk about adaptations of Hellboy. The first thing we're going to start with is the live action full length movies. Starting in 2004, we had a Hellboy movie. Very exciting. This is kind of in the heyday of all of the the early comic book movies of the 2000s. X-Men, X-Men 2, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. Um, you know, uh, all these great movies coming out. And then Hellboy, which was the first big indie movie comic um, that, well, I wouldn't say first, but like. We had TMNT before that. We had TMNT, but but this this was. This was definitely like, oh, this is cool. Like, this is a, a new character we hadn't seen before. Many people haven't seen before. And how are they going to how are they going to translate this to kind of a mainstream audience? Well, first, you get Guillermo del Toro, 
as a as a director who up till then had had a couple of successes with um, some kind of, you know, some some sort of creepy uh, movies that that had monsters and they had some practical effects. And yeah, was was um oh, yeah, the uh, Pan's Labyrinth. I think that was that was before Hellboy. Pan's Labyrinth was 2006. So it oh, came out after. OK, so I think it was like Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth and then Hellboy 2. So first of all, you get Guillermo del Toro um, as the director, who is an amazing visionary director. Now he is an Oscar winning director um, for The Shape of Water. But at that point, he was still developing this kind of creature aesthetic, uh, very much of an eye for uh, visual design and very iconic characters. And I want to say Abe Sapien, you know, having this great character, Abe Sapien definitely like influenced maybe some ideas about absolutely uh, the, the character that you see in the shape of water. Um, Cause they're kind of very similar. They're almost um, exactly the same. And, and part of the, the pitch when they were making this movie, they were going around and Mignola was like, well, I see Ron Perlman playing Hellboy and I don't think anybody else can play them. And Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro was like, yeah, let's do that. And they, they went around to different studios and some studios were like, no, 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 we're we, that I, we don't we don't we don't like that idea. We don't like Ron Perlman. Um, eventually, uh, they found a studio that that was like, yeah, great, let's do it. And uh, Ron Perlman was cast as Hellboy. Um, and up until then, he had done, you know, some different uh, some different roles, kind of like he's a great character actor. He'd done a lot of iconic stuff. Um, Del Toro directed Blade 2 which is a great blade movie. So much and fun. Perlman was one of the sort of like hitman vampires in that. And I think that that's where they kind of hit it off and like, uh, made a good relationship with like, Hey, I want to work with this actor again. So, and, um, I've also heard that Ron Perlman in real life is a super nice guy. Yeah. He, <laughs> he cannot get away from like the prosthetic stuff though, because yeah. he was in that. It was like a beauty and the beast. Oh yeah, uh, sure. He was he was too. beauty. He was, the, he yeah, was he was Vincent. Yes, and they were like in a <laughs> sewer or something. Yeah, but that was it was Beauty and the Beast, but it was like modern day. You yeah. know, uh, that's a whole nother. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yes. Ron Ron Perlman was was Beast in the eighties. Um, <laughs> I, I forgot about that. So good. Uh, so, so Hellboy also stars Selma Blair as Liz Sherman. John Hurt plays Professor Broom, and Doug Jones. It does the body work for Abe Sapien, but it actually there is a uncredited voice credit, which is David uh, Hyde Pierce does the voice from some people might know him from Frasier or yep. from uh, like, you know, Bugs Life. But um, in the second movie, which we'll get to in a minute, um, it's just Doug Jones does the voice for it as well. Doug Jones basically does anytime there is a creature in a movie, Doug Jones mm-hmm. is playing the creature. If it's a lanky yeah. creature, it's Doug Jones. Yeah, it's either him or what's um, the guy from Lord of the Rings, Andy Serkis. It's like yeah. it's either Doug. Those are the mocap people. Well, but his isn't mocap. It's it's like an actual. Yeah, like he can mime and move his hands. It's like, like a contortionist. Yeah, you can tell because of his his lithe body type. Um, so he he played like the creepy thing in Pan's Labyrinth, you know, with the eyes, and then like in in. The second Hellboy movie, he didn't only play uh, Abe Sapien, but he also played like the, uh, the the chancellor that they meet at the very beginning and like the, the creepy thing with like the 
fan on his head. I don't even know what the character's name is, but um, yeah. So, so mostly uh, the Hellboy 2004 movie is based on seed of destruction, but not really, but kind of, but it has a lot of the same characters. Um, some things were altered for the runtime and kind of condensed down. You had some new characters that were introduced, but a lot of the kind of core characters that we mentioned before. And Del Toro said he tried to emulate the Ray Harryhausen films, like the old, uh, you know, Jason and the Argonauts and then the Golden Fleece and like the ones with the skeletons, they're animated like, ah, you know, <laughs> like that, that same kind of feel was the feel they were going for. And he was also influenced by the Jack Kirby style uh, for the action scenes like and you can kind of tell that in the I think the big climactic battle with all of the you know cosmic stuff happening and it's it's very like Fantastic Four you know cosmic rays <laughs> stuff like that yeah. um, and, and, it, and it so let's talk about the first movie uh, you know I, I was I was a fan of the comic before the movie um, you saw the movie not having read the comic a lot but what did you think of the first movie I loved it I was yeah obsessed with that yeah. movie. Yeah. It, like I, I love films. Like I've, I've been obsessed with movies pretty much my entire life. Uh, and like the, the costuming and mm-hmm. like fight sequences and, and like the dialogue, like literally everything about these films were so good. I, I just, I would like pause the movie at times and just like look at the set pieces because del toro has such a great eye for set design and yeah yeah the people he has on set that are working on costuming and prosthetics and makeup and it it is insane that so much of that isn't cgi that Uh the the set pieces are like legitimately things that were built it's all practical it's it's like unbelievably impressive yeah, I think if 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 a lot of the characters, if you had a CGI Hellboy or a CGI Ape Sapien or or whatever, or even the monsters, mm-hmm. which which were mostly practical, um, unless they were cosmic entities, uh, they you know it, it was really cool. I mean, of course, like Liz Sherman with fire and everything like that, you kind of had to do stuff like that. But they didn't want to light Selma Blair on fire. Let's, I mean, she needs to step up. Let's be honest. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, but Selma, like, we didn't even talk about the cast, though. The cast is amazing. Like, Selma Blair does such a good job opposite Ron Perlman. And mm-hmm. Abe Sapien is honestly, like, out of all of these characters, I probably Great. love Abe Sapien the most. I, yeah. like, I just love the wit kind of back and forth but oh so good yeah a lot of the characters are great uh, now as a fan of the comic i i liked it i wasn't there were some things that bothered me about it there was some and maybe it was like the i want it to be closer to the comic kind of thing like i i didn't like the character that the, the the young fbi character that they brought in like i understand why they did it um uh myers um I understand why they did it because it was kind of like we need this like new fresh eyes and we're, that's the audience's kind of like perspective and and I was like who is this guy <laughs> like, like that's it's wasting time let's just let's just follow these characters <laughs> um, or or they could have made it like uh, you know another character that was in the comics like they could have had it uh, like Kate Corrigan who was was a character in the comics as a professor and like she could have been the new character uh, but for some reason it was this this new guy who was kind of a became a main character, but 
had never really been before. So, um, and then, you know, there was little things like, I was like, okay, I, I, I get why they're doing this, but I don't, I, I don't think it's needed like extra stuff. Like he's obsessed with cats and, and he, <laughs> he watches all, you know, these, all these weird cartoons and stuff like that. And, and I was like, he's, he's a big red half demon. That's interesting enough. <laughs> like, <he laughs> Just let him do his stuff. You don't need to show him how interesting he is when he's at home sitting around, like just let's get on the, on the mission. And, uh, but, but I did like, that it was very, it was a very lived in world, like at the BPRD. And then even when they went out, they had kind of like code names they called each other. And I, I think the, the movie verse of Hellboy did a good job of kind of establishing like a different aesthetic, whereas the comic was a little bit more like, let's stand around and talk. Whereas the comic or the movie verse was, uh, had the characters do a little more and you know hellboy and liz had a romantic thing but that that never really existed so that was a whole nother thing so um I, they kind of made it their own is, is what i'm getting at is is i think that's okay even though initially it bothered me i think in retrospect having been more than a decade since since that's came out uh since those movies have come out um i i like that kind of on their own they they established kind of their own version of hellboy uh, because it's a good version of Hellboy, and we're we're gonna get to a not so good version of Hellboy, <laughs> but not yet, because in 2008 we had Hellboy 2: The Golden Army, which was also an amazing film, which had the same cast with the addition of Seth MacFarlane as the voice of Johann Kraus, which I didn't know that was Seth MacFarlane prior to to doing research for this, which is amazing. Makes sense. He does obviously tons of voiceover work and Family Guy and literally pretty much anything he's always doing a voice in something he he not only does the voices for johan kraus but also some fake creatures uh in this film there's an elven prince that wants to destroy man with a bunch of constructs which also look amazingly cool and there is a shift from gothic action to a more folklore focus with european overtones first of all seth MacFarlane, great choice for <laughs> Um, with, with, uh, you know, they could have gotten, uh, Liam O'Brien who does a great German accent. Ooh, yes. That would but, be a good um, choice. He wasn't, uh, available at that time, apparently. So, mm -hmm. so Seth MacFarlane, great choice. And, and, uh, Johann Strauss, the character is a medium and he's, if you haven't seen Hellboy two and, or from the comics, he's drawn very cool. It's, it's almost like a, like a, uh, mystery paranormal version of Mysterio, but he's just this big, dome head and his body is this sort of inflatable almost like a like a diving suit and he's he's made up of gas and he's this kind of he's a medium because he can sort of talk to the dead and he can incorporate things but he can let himself out of the suit and it kind of like deflates and, and he can do things and take over other people and um but but i i seeing him in the movie it was a really cool because I was like, oh, this guy's kind of funny and he's like kind of like militant and he's he, he he's brought in as a sort of a, a superior um, director to to Hellboy because uh, the other guy kind of blew his cover. And uh, so and he's like, ah, Agent Hellboy, you know, I'm going to <laughs> ah, but did you see this? Is this all your tactic? And um, he does some really cool stuff. And then eventually, you know, him, uh, Strauss and Hellboy kind of like work out there 
differences in in a fun way. And but uh, yeah, great character. Um, I, I especially love the sequence in in two when when they're in the kind of the the main sequence with the golden army and and Strauss uh, lets himself out, you know, his ethereal self, and he takes over one of the soldiers and it oh, turns it so cool. lights up blue. <laughs> It's really cool. It it definitely it I think it got away a little bit from like like we said, you know, it, it had more of a folklore focus and it was like talking about elves and um you know, fey creatures and and you know, it even mentions this whole like backstory of like a long time ago elves and dwarves and and goblins. I was like, "What's going on?" Yeah. <laughs> like and and um it's it was a little if it, it didn't feel Hellboy, it felt like Hellboy was in a movie that wasn't really Hellboy story. Because it didn't directly deal with like the coming of the apocalypse or or uh, this like evil cosmic stuff or gothic stuff. It was a little bit more lighthearted, I think. And it also kind of dealt with like, hey, Hellboy is now seen by the public. And what do they think of him and the version of man, what they perceive of this, this person. Um, and as these characters of like Liz and Hellboy have gotten further in their relationship and, and Abe Sapien kind of has a obsession with this elven princess. And so like, there's, there's different things going on and it, it, it got away from the action Gothic element a little bit, which um, I, I initially, again, like this was one of those things I was like, I don't know if I like this, but then after a while, I was like, no, I, I really liked I liked what they did with the movie. I think it was super visually cool. I thought the characters were fun. Again, they made it their own. It, it, and you have to kind of keep telling yourself like it's loosely based on the comic, but it's it's their own story. It's it's Guillermo del Toro's story and his version of Hellboy. And and according to Mike Mignola, like he nailed it, like he he did a great job. It wasn't a uh, and a, a direct interpretation of Hellboy. It was his interpretation of Hellboy. It was it was Del Toro's interpretation, which which is great. You know, it's nice to see like you can have the comic and you can also have a movie. And as we've seen from Spider-Man films or Batman films, you can have different interpretations of a very similar character. Before we get into the 2019 version, um, I should mention that there was supposed to be a third Hellboy movie, which was going to be called Hellboy 3 Dark Worlds. It was in development as soon as a year after Hellboy 2 came out, uh, but was canceled after some time due to funding. Uh, Del Toro, you know, did Pan's Labyrinth to get a lot of uh, accolades for that. He was getting more busy. Oh, um, so for a while it was it was rumored that and Del Toro was actually linked with directing The Hobbit. Mm. Like he he was going to be the director for that. So he was in like heavy production for that. And ultimately that didn't happen. Peter Jackson came back in. But like, if you look at the first Hobbit, um, he has writing credits. Like he's, he's, he, he helped develop the story uh, via adaptive screenplay. So um, Hellboy three kind of kept getting pushed off. And, and Ron Perlman was like, I don't want to do it if Guillermo's not involved. And everybody else kind of was like, well, we're going to do whatever Ron Perlman does. And then um, John Hurt passed away. So, I mean, like all these things yeah. kept on happening that uh, put off the third movie. And eventually in uh, in 2017 uh, at a at a panel, I think Mike Mignola was like, well, we're making a new movie and it's just going to be a reboot. And it's, it's going to be directed by Neil Marshall, who um, if you 
aren't familiar with the name Neil Marshall, you'll probably be familiar with um, Neil Marshall directed The Descent, which is one of the scariest, creepiest movies <laughs> ever. Um, but also Neil Marshall directed two of the best Game of Thrones episodes. Uh, he he directed the the last episode or the second to last episode of the second season um, which is the one where it, they're they're invading King's Landing from the water, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and it's a- amazing. And he also directed the the invasion of the wall episode, and I, I forget which season is like three or four, when um, all of the people are like invading the wall in the north, and that's a, an amazing episode too. Um, there's so much going on, and there's it's just like this giant battle war siege kind of stuff, and. You know, I heard about that. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And 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 uh, I, I love Neil. Moore. I like I, I love those episodes. I, I like what he's done before. This movie's going to be great. Hey, they cast David Harbour, uh, who you might know from Stranger Things. He's he's uh, you know the, the cop in that. And he's about to play Red Star in Black Widow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's about he's he's going to be in Red Star. He's going to be the the Marvel Universe. Um, so cool guy right i mean he's a great actor um uh mila jovovich uh was cast as the main antagonist uh, which is nimu the blood queen Nimue. and and she was great in all like resident evil and she's a great actress in fifth element and i was like there, you know there's a lot of good things about this movie um this is not a good movie <laughs> this is this is this was terribly disappointing um <laughs> this film has some redeeming qualities. It does. But, and, and I'd like to go through those. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but overall there, there's a lot of struggle in, in this movie. And I, I think just honestly, like the opening sequence immediately like took me out of this film. They like the, the, the wrestling stuff. Well, well, yeah, the wrestling stuff wasn't great. The transformation into the vampire was pretty cool, but yeah. like the opening sequence with like the King Arthur stuff, like I, I found oh, myself sure. liking the idea of what they were doing, but not the execution mm-hmm. of it. I, yeah, the, the acting in the opening sequence with everyone, like it was <laughs> just like, this is so bad. Whatever they're trying to do with a prosthetic on Merlin is not working at all. Yeah. It looks yeah. bad, which is crazy because we're, we're coming off of Hellboy films, obviously, that have this amazing aesthetic to them mm-hmm. and costuming and makeup. And then to immediately right off the bat get something that I'm like, that's that's like makeup, that makeup quality or prosthetic is like B movie quality. It's like, yeah. really? We're doing that here. But <laughs> it's kind of a yeah, it's better than Roger Corman, but not not Guillermo del Toro level. And, you know, and this it's been over 10 years you know, since the last movie, so you th- like, well, they they can certainly bring people in that know what they're doing. But for some reason, it just wasn't as good as something that came out 10 years ago. Yeah, we should say that that the movie is based on a couple of the storylines from the comics, Wild Hunt, Darkness Calls, The Storm and the Fury, and briefly some bits and pieces from Hellboy in Mexico. Um, I, I think that's part of the problem. I think part of the problem is they they it was bloated because they were trying to do too much. There were so many things going on and, and they're, they're trying to do too much with, with the story. Like David Harbor as Hellboy wasn't bad. It wasn't. Like he was actually one of the best things about the movie. Like yep. he, he 
sounded like Hellboy and he was he looked like Hellboy and the I thought the makeup was actually really good. I I just didn't like his uh the right hand of doom on him. It it looked oh yeah so much worse it kind of, than kind of the fake, original. Yeah. yeah, it like mm-hmm. it just didn't it didn't fit in there. Yeah. Like it, I felt like there were times where I could like see a seam kind of a thing. I'm just like really. But yeah. yeah, but him him as the character as Hellboy, I really enjoyed. I honestly really enjoyed both of the supporting cast for him as well. His like the the rest of the team. So like Daniel Day Kim's character yeah. uh, was really enjoyable. And then yeah, so Ben Ben Dymo, uh, Daimo, uh, who is an ex military uh, who got brought into the BPRD because he got attacked by a were jaguar, and now he can turn into a were jaguar. It was actually a character that got brought in the comics around the same time as Johan Krauss. So that was kind of cool to see that character. And there's a little, the little backstory with that is originally um, the actor that, that played. Uh, damn it. I'm so bad with names. Who's the, the villain in Deadpool? Which one? The first Ajax. one? Is, yeah, yeah. Ajax. Yeah. The, the guy that the actor that played Ajax in the first movie was originally cast as Daimyo. And when he found out that the character was Asian in the comics, he was like, no, no, they should cast an Asian American for this. And they brought in Daniel Day Kim and Daniel Day Kim like found that actor and was like, yeah, that's super cool of you. And then they get they got to be friends. And so I thought that was that was cool on like both of their parts, like that, that they the actor recognized, like we should do the right thing and cast somebody that, you know, as an Asian American, uh, an Asian American uh, in this role. So. Um, and then Sasha Lane uh, was uh, Alice Monahan, um, who is a young woman who kind of has like visions and she was raised by fairies and uh, ends up sort of sort of helping with with Hellboy. And yeah, she does. She does a lot. She so her. Yeah, well, she does a lot. I mean, yeah, there's there's some I really enjoyed how they were able to uh, show her powers or certain times. Mm-hmm. So. We're, we're talking spoilers. We've already given a spoiler warning. Yeah. The yeah, stuff sure. where people are like coming out of her mouth and like talking mm-hmm. is horrendous. It's so bad. I, <laughs> yeah, I hated yeah. it. The CGI was awful. I, I, the, and the entire time multiple characters did that. I was just like, this is the worst thing in this film. But when she's like in fight sequences and she's like punching these like creatures and then they're just ghosts are leaving their bodies. Their spirits mm-hmm. are just leaving. That's cool. Like, i that's pretty great. Like that part was, was Dr. Strangey kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, th- it was a good character that I wish was done better. Yes. Um, well, that's and, like for almost everyone in this film. And, and it, it I, I will say, even though, oh, Ian McShane as Professor Broom, another amazing actor. Yeah. Um, you know, iconic uh, character actor. Um, I, I, I missed Abe Sapien. I missed Liz yes, Sherman. I, I missed exactly. like that. There was bits of the world that just felt like why why isn't anything happening and there was too much time focused on these other like like the demons that were going around trying to find parts of the blood queen and and, and like big fights that ultimately were just like why are, what's the point of this and yep like, <laughs> i so i was watching this film with my wife and she every few minutes would just be like where are they trying to go with this story? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, what is happening? 
because we we are both very big it's film like the people. worst D and D campaign. Yeah, and she <laughs> she would like com- lose complete attention at one point. She'd look back up and just be like, "Oh my gosh, what are they doing now?" And yeah. and this is coming from a person that she's very much into D and D and and all of like fantasy stories, and she loves the first two Hellboy films as well. She's also she's a very big Del Toro fan, and yeah. with this film, she was just like. Oh my gosh, what is happening here? And and you know the the trailers, I mean, this is another case of like the trailers made it look really good, but then yeah. like I mean, th- th- this this film, this Hellboy movie was rated R, which is another thing they were like, okay, we're going to like kind of like Deadpool, it's like we're going to amp up the gory violence. It's a it's a hell creature. There are creatures coming up from hell. There's demons, there's you know, fake creatures. Um there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we're going to make uh, pretty awesome and, and dark and gory. And it, it, it was just, it was kind of like a pinata filled with blood. It was like, <laughs> just, yeah. you, you could do it, but it's, it's just messy and, and like, no one wants that, you know? And like, uh, yeah, there's like uh, a yeah, sequence I, near the, near the end of the film where it just becomes a gore fest. And I'm just like, this doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Like, yeah, like yeah. a couple creatures ripped a few people apart. <laughs> earlier in the film but the end is just like like all over the place they they were trying to make a a horror action movie and it ended up being just this weird amalgamation of like ideas that that the director and the creators had of of like this will be cool and then we're going to make them work together and it wasn't cool it didn't work that i mean the, the unfortunate thing was there's a lot of elements of the story like we find out in the comics that uh okay this is gonna be going into the comics mythology a little bit so hellboy's mom was a descendant of uh uh morgan lefay morgana lefay and and king arthur and he was like kind of like a because the the son uh mordred um was was like his bastard son or something like that so he is hellboy is technically the oldest living male heir to the uh kingdom of england and he is able to wield excalibur which makes him the king of england um which is this kind of cool loophole of like what (laughs) and uh and and it's a great it's a really cool revelation and it's kind of cool in the comics and it's like oh that that's awesome however if you've seen the movie or you've seen like the kid who would be king which is another terrible movie about uh you know somebody becoming the king of england it's like it's it's done in a way where it's just not it's kind of like okay you know like sure why not that that's not it's not as big of a deal at this point because all these things are just terrible and like um so i don't know uh, you know let's let's not talk about it. this this movie is frustrating <laughs> yeah how bad it was. if if you want to give it a chance there there are some parts that are cool but it if you're gonna want to watch if you want to watch a hellboy film watch the first two Watch the first two or uh, watch the next two films, which we're going to talk about, which are animated versions of Hellboy. So uh, in in uh, 2006, uh, well, actually, in 2005, they announced they were making two animated movies based on Hellboy. Um, IDT Entertainment acquired the rights and made not one, but two animated movies at the same time for some reason. Um, But they both run about 75 minutes. 
Uh, it's called, they're called Sword of Storms and Blood and Iron, which both aired first on Cartoon Network in October 2006 and March 2007, respectively. And most of the original film cast came back and reprised their roles. So Ron Perlman came back, Samuel Blair came back, uh, Doug Jones came back, um, John Hurt came back. So like everybody voiced and they added Perry Gilpin as uh, Kate Corrigan, who was a character from the comics that was not in the movies, um, which was great. And it was uh, co-written and directed by Tad Stones, who uh, who is a friend of mine. And I, I know uh, his son also, and and he's a cool guy. So um, he's been on Knights of the Roll Table, which is my <laughs> which is my other podcast. So cool. Um, and Tad also directed. Uh, he was the creator of Darkwing Duck and like some characters on Tailspin. And um, so he's animation cool guy. And he co-wrote the story with Mike Mignola. Um, this Hellboy animated is is really cool because it's again, it's sort of its own take on Hellboy. It's different from the movie, but it's also closer to the comics, but it's so stylized in its animated kind of style. Um, you know, Hellboy is like really triangular and big, and he's got these little legs and, and Les Sherman's kind of angular. It's um, the, the character designer is uh, Sean Cheek Scalloway, who did the character design for the Spectacular Spider-Man animated show. Um, so that very kind of like angular stylized kind of look. But it's really cool. Like it's it's a very neat style. Um, and seeing hearing the voices kind of like, OK, I'm brought into the world. And they do amazing stuff with creatures uh, that you can't. It would be hard to do on a on a budget on a movie budget. I think, I mean, it would, it's like, they do some really cool stuff with the animation. So, um, the, uh, let's see. Um, so, so I, both of these movies are available right now on HBO max. Uh, you can, you can watch them. Uh, and there was actually a third movie that they were planning, but it didn't happen, but they made a kind of a test of it. Um, which is also an HBO max. And it's only like five minutes, but it sort of, and if you get a chance, you should watch this. It's it was done in a way that's like 3D, but sort of uh, I don't know how to describe the animation. It's like it, it's not quite 3D, but it's almost like, you know, those those telltale games. Yes. Where yeah. where they're mm -hmm. kind of like cell shaded, but they're but they're three dimensional, but they're but they look like they're two dimensional. It, it's kind of like that. So it's very much a Mike Mignola drawing that's been made three dimensional with lots of heavy blacks and these like moving objects, but it's like a 2D drawing that's moving. Um, and it's a short little like, almost experiment, um, which which is kind of fun. So um, that that's out there as well. Uh, so, yeah, animated movies endorsed. Uh, I, I like them. I think they were good and, and they have they have fun characters and fun stories and everything. Um, then Hellboy, you can also find in a couple of video games. He was in 2000. He was on a Windows game called Hellboy Dogs of Night, which was ported over to the PlayStation as Hellboy Asylum Seeker. I have not heard or played either one of those uh, till now. In 2007, he was uh, in a game called Hellboy Science of Evil with Ron Perlman voicing Hellboy. Uh, Liz Sherman and Abe Sapien were also playable characters in the co-op mode, which is kind of cool. In 2009, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Tooth Fairy Terror was released for iOS. Uh, so, and you can think about it, in 2009, iOS game, probably not that great. iPhone had only, the App Store had only been out for like a year. <laughs> so I don't remember that game. There's probably a reason for that. Um, it sounded like a quick cash grab or just like, hey, let's promote the movie with a 
game where you smack tooth fairies. It, it's, um, it's just interesting because so Del Toro directed the Golden Army, but he also has a film like about the tooth fairy and they're like these creepy little <laughs> creatures and they're yeah. like stealing teeth and yeah. super, super <laughs> weird. Yeah. <laughs> Big mouth. Yeah. I like the design of the tooth. Fairy. Yes. But uh, probably the coolest version of Hell- Hellboy in the video games was from Injustice 2, which is he's in a downloadable content pack, uh, part of Fighter Pack 2, ro- voiced by Bruce Barker. And you can play as Hellboy uh, in all these. We've talked about Injustice before. and We talked about Ninja Turtles and Cheetah and like different DC characters. And um, But I love that they brought in like different characters from different universes. And Hellboy, you know, like you can watch this on YouTube, just like some of his fighting moves and he's you know has a move where he like his horns mystically come out and his finishing move he like jumps up and like literally punches whoever his opponent is down into hell (laughs) they get like taken apart by by uh little demons and stuff and i'm like oh that's amazing (laughs) so that looks really fun and awesome um hellboy's also had some notable merch there's a lot to talk about the one the two things i want to mention just for merch uh, because there's a lot, but uh, there was Hellboy, the board game, which was a successful Kickstarter in 2019 from Mantic Games. And then right after that, because it did so well, Mantic also did a Kickstarter for Hellboy, the tabletop RPG, which is using uh, D&D 5e rules. Um, that should be coming out later this year in 2021, yes. which uh, Hellboy characters uh, and, and you can like they have character sheets. You can play as Hellboy or Liz Sherman, or you can create your own BPRD character mm. with like special powers or whatever. And it uses 5e rules. So you can like do your own campaign or even bring them into your existing game. Dibs on Abe Sapien. <laughs> I, I want to play Johann Strauss. Uh, Perfect. I want to be. I will talk like this. <laughs> so now is the time uh, where we're going to have what if. What, what if. if? Each issue we do what nerds do best. We share our fever dream concepts for the comics that we love. And this week, our question is, what mythical or supernatural creature or being would you like to see battle against Hellboy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hellboy has gone up against a lot of creatures of myth and folklore and i mean he's fought vampires he's fought uh werewolves he's fought sea creatures he's fought all kinds of uh scary monsters um of folklore and you know there there might have been things that that we haven't read yet but um who who what what mythical creature or creature from myth would you like to see hellboy pitted up against i immediately was trying to think of like what what character from another comic book franchise or just another franchise in general would be a good matchup against Hellboy. And I almost immediately thought of Mumra from Thundercats. <laughs> I That's not what I thought you were going to say. As <laughs> soon as I thought of this, I needed it to exist and be a thing. But I wouldn't say Mumra is a mythical character. He's like a pop fiction character like but he has like a knowledge of mystical arts and he's very supernatural so i'm going off sure. of what what they go yeah. off, what what like the bprd would fight against sure so he's a master of magic which yeah. would make things difficult for hellboy uh he so he's a master of mystical arts from the corners of all from all corners of the universe he has energy manipulation, levitation, necromancy, alchemy, shape shifting, temporal manipulation, teleportation. 
psychokinesis, transfiguration, mind control, astral projection, scrying, and he can summon monsters. And there's all these different things that he can do. And so I just imagine him just summoning all these creatures to fight Hellboy. Hellboy gets through. Then you get to see Mumra go from his like decrepit state to this yeah. really muscular version. This and then we just version, yeah. then we just get to see like a brawl between the two of them. And oh, he's <laughs> so good. Or like he summons like all these demon creature types of things, and Hellboy's just like he's just like, you sure you want to do gotta that? I got to go through these guys to get to you, or, ugly. Or he like lets his horns grow back out. He gets the crown, and then he controls the demons and sends them right back at Mumra. So, oh snap! There's there's so many cool things you could do with that, and I know I I kind of went a little outside the box for that That's one, all right. but That's a fun choice. I I just love the visual image of a beefed up Mumra going up against Hellboy. That's yeah, I like that. Um, that's fun. Uh, I went with something that a little bit more traditional myth. Uh, and that's the Kraken from Greek mythology. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> I I was like, what would be a big big monster? The Hellboy could fight and it would just be like a, a big drawn out battle that would just be like really big. And he would definitely say, oh, crap. And I was like, well, release the Kraken. And and I thought I think the storyline would be, you know, almost like Clash of the Titans. Like it's like, well, what can stop a Kraken? Well, and he has to go kill a Gorgon and, um, you know, show him the head of Medusa and turn the Kraken to stone, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe there's some other things that he incorporates from Greek mythology, like uh because I don't I don't remember in a lot of the stories seeing Greek myth come into play into Hellboy. Um, normally they go deeper into like European folklore and yeah. and uh, Japanese folklore and things like that. So um, I, I think bringing in some of that because it is that kind of like moments from antiquity where where you, you have, have familiar aspects. But like, oh, what if the Kraken was real and this giant sea monster um leviathan kind of you know titan comes out of the sea and he's like oh god <laughs> maybe like ape sapiens it's like uh-huh. oh okay well I, I i'll try to help out underwater but <laughs> um and just all of them are kind of going mm-hmm. at it and like they can't dent it and they're like we need a better plan and let's what did perseus do uh, i don't know uh, they're gorgons there's no gorgons <laughs> i just imagine them being out on the ocean trying to find the kraken Hellboy is getting queasy the entire time. And then the Kraken like pops up and you just see Hellboy and he just goes, we're going to need a bigger boat. (laughs) Uh, Make it happen. (laughs) There we go. We just fight the Kraken. There's the next two. Well, either comic adaptations. For all we know, maybe he's already done that. There's a lot of Hellboy I haven't read. Maybe he's fought a Kraken. I mean, I know he's fought giant tentacle monsters before. And uh, he's probably fought mummies before, let's be honest. So yeah, um, maybe it's already been done. But that's in our minds. I think that just shows that, you know, Hellboy is an amazing, versatile character. There's an endless amount of stories you could tell with him. There have been many, many cool stories told with him. And if you haven't gotten into Hellboy, give him give him a read. Check out one of our recommendations, short stories or or full series. Um, you know, watch movies. You know, he's he is one of the best characters created in comics um and for very good reasons because he's he's a he's a lovable gruff you know tough guy with a heart of gold so uh um he's he's deep down he's a demon (laughs) he's a demon who loves loves life and loves humans um and on that note 
uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up our episode. I think that's uh, that's all we got for Hellboy. Yeah, and, and Chris, do you have an announcement for our listeners? Yes. Um, so uh, I am going to be taking a break from from this podcast. Um, it's kind of with a heavy heart. I had to sort of decide that uh, you know my life was very busy, and um, we started this podcast, Lance, during the pandemic when we had a lot more time. Yep. And <laughs> I wasn't working as much as I am now, and now I'm back to full time work and full time dadding and and uh, doing a Patreon and doing other stuff. And, and um, it's, it's tough to make cuts, you know, it's tough to get rid of the things you love. But, uh, and I, I told Lance a while ago, I was like, I'm, I think I'm going to step away for a while just to kind of get things in order um, to focus on some other priorities. And, and uh, the the podcast is going to keep going. Lance is going to continue to host and bring in some amazing guest hosts, uh, some of whom you might have heard already, and some new guest hosts from out in podcast land and some friends of ours and things like that. So um, it's it's a it's kind of a, a second chapter of, of comic book keepers. Um, I will be back in some form or fashion. So I'm not saying goodbye forever, but just for now, I'm stepping away because I, I want to make sure I can devote full time to researching and reading comics. And, and I felt like I wasn't really able to do that. Uh, I was kind of scrambling to, to read, <laughs> like I, I, to research and everything. It takes time to do that. It's a lot of hours uh, put into each one of these yeah, episodes. For sure. Yeah. We, we, if you, if you don't know, like we don't just have all this knowledge, we research a lot of this stuff. We, we do a lot of time like reading and watching stuff and it, um, so that hopefully, you know, you are inspired to do the same or so that you don't have to, if it's not a character that you particularly want to find out about, but, um, the comic, the, the podcast will keep going and we hope that you continue listening. Um, please do, uh, you know, I will be back in some way, but, um, Lance is, uh, doing some fantastic work on his own and, uh, I've taught him how to edit and <laughs> he's doing great. I, I can edit things now. It's amazing. <laughs> And you're doing great. Um, uh, he has all the same sound bites and everything. So it'll sound like the same podcast, but uh, with some fun new guest artists. And um, do, you, do, you, do you have some ideas of, of other characters that, that you're going to talk about? Like, you don't have to tell. You don't have oh, to yeah. hint at it. But I, like... have, I have a le- le- legitimately. So when when you had told me that you were thinking about or that you were going to be stepping away, I went to kind of our podcast nerd group and just sure. was like, Hey, would anyone be interested in in jumping on and doing one of your favorite characters on the show? And immediately, just everyone was Hands. just like, "It's like I want to do this character. I want to do this character." So we yeah. we, we do not have a a lack of of people Good. wanting to join in or a lack of characters because we awesome. we chose this premise and quickly realized that it's one of those that it, it never is going to end. There's always going to be. It will. It will never be complete. No, it will not because we are. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah, it's good. I mean, but our, it's it's good that we weren't like, let's talk about the four Ninja Turtles and then we're done. <laughs> like It's just that. Although that would be a fun podcast. So I, I just want to say thank you all for listening. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just stepping away. I'm not going to say goodbye, but but uh, but it's this podcast does mean a lot to me. And it's something that I've always wanted to kind of I, I love that that Lance and I kind of found a connection talking about comics and we've we've been able to read a lot more stuff that, you know, we haven't read before. And it's, it's, it's been this 
perfect example of, of what podcasts are and bringing people together through their love of geeky things mm-hmm. <laughs> and talking about it. And um, we've, we've had a lot of good feedback on some of the, on the stuff that we've done and we hope that you're continuing to enjoy it and uh, that you continue to listen. So it's time to close the book on Hellboy. So until next time, this is Chris. And this is Lance. Reminding you to keep your friends close. But your comic books closer. Ah, crap. choked on a brownie (laughs) (laughs) that's going into the end credit i choked on a brownie